The message of Easter is Jesus is risen. Many of us have heard this message. Most of us have heard it before, but you're going to hear it today. I think we're all going to hear it today like we've never heard it before. Not because of the person giving the message, but because of where we're all sitting and where we're listening to the message today. That is in a world that is standing still, in a world that is suffering, and in a world where many of the things that we controlled just a few weeks ago, we no longer are in control of today. If you have a copy of the scriptures this morning, or you can follow along, and we're going to read the passage this morning from Matthew chapter 28, the first 10 verses. You can follow along as I read. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The first thing I think that it means that Jesus has risen is that you no longer need to live I no longer need to live in fear. It's a, there's a lot of reasons in this particular passage for there to be fear, right? There was an earthquake, right? I don't know if you've ever lived in or experienced an earthquake. I did uh, in 2001. Let me tell you, if you're in an earthquake uh, and the whole building shakes, it strikes fear in your heart right? This says was a violent earthquake. And on top of the earthquake, it says that the angel of the Lord came and his appearance was like lightning. And those who were guarding the tomb, it says, became like dead men. There was reason here for fear. Yet Jesus and the angels both say to these women who came to the tomb, do not be afraid, right? Do not be afraid. Now, I don't think in saying that Jesus um, intended to banish all fear, right? They wouldn't have said it twice if that were the case. But what I think Jesus is saying, what this angel is saying, is he's saying, you do not long need to live in fear. We no longer need to live in a state of fear. That's what they're saying. See, what these women knew that these guards didn't know is that the death of Jesus Christ was not an accident and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not a total surprise. Jesus had told them three times in this gospel ahead of time, those who followed him like these women and the disciples, that he would die, 
that he would rise from the dead. But it's one thing to hear that, even from Jesus, and it's another thing to see it with your own eyes. It says the women hurried away, afraid, they still were had fear, yet filled with joy, right? But that joy was not just because they had evidence that Jesus had risen from the dead, but in his resurrection, they saw the possibility of their own resurrection, right? This passage addresses a real fear that all people have, that all people carry with them, and that is the fear of death. Later in the New Testament, the writer of the book of Hebrews says these words, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, speaking of Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Listen, we too, in our world today, we have experienced a, a violent earthquake of a kind. And we too are experiencing shaking and that shaking has continues to this day. There are people in our world, in this community who are suffering. There are people in our world that are dying. Um, some of us may get this virus. Some of us may die, but we do not need to fear death. If you know Jesus, we don't need to fear death because to be with him means there is life after death for all of those who believe. First, the angel said to these women, then Jesus said to these women, and I'm saying now to you, do not be afraid. The second thing this passage tells us is that your failures, my failures, cannot keep you from God's love. I want you to think about not only this passage, but all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the record of what is certainly the most important event in the Gospel story in the history of God's redemptive plan is the resurrection of Jesus. This is reported in all four Gospels the, to, that the women, Mary Magdalene and other women, they were the first witnesses of the empty tomb. And they were not only the first witnesses of the empty tomb, they were the first witnesses in this passage to actually see the risen Jesus. Now, why is that so? Well, 2,000 years of scholarship say that that's so because God didn't want anybody to miss the point and God didn't want anyone to miss the true meaning of the gospel. Mary Magdalene, or was women in general, were not seen as um, credible witnesses in a, in a law of court, in a court of law. And beyond that, Mary Magdalene, we know her backstory. It's recorded in the gospels. She was a woman, it said, who was demon possessed. She had been delivered from seven demons. Now, even if your worldview, right? If, there, if there's not a place for, let's say, demons or angels and demons, if you were alive in Jesus' day or if it was today, Mary Magdalene would have been seen as somebody who was a, someone who lived on the street, someone who was not in her right mind. Yet, 
the gospel writers, all four of them, say that the witness to the resurrection was a woman. Why do that? Because the, the choice of Mary Magdalene shouts through history that your past failures, right? What you have failed to do, maybe the things that you've never done, the failures you've committed, the things you've never done, maybe even the things that have happened to you cannot keep you, cannot keep me from the love of God. And by the way, don't forget about the 12 disciples, right? It says, he, Jesus says to this woman, listen, go tell my disciples and, excuse me, my brothers to come to Galilee. He calls them his brothers. Now, that's not the first time that Jesus uses the term brothers for the disciples, but it's the first time he uses it after they had all um, left him and failed him in his worst hour of need. Just two chapters earlier, just a couple days earlier, when Jesus was being arrested, in the time that he most needed these men, they all headed for the hills, every last one of them. And even when Peter, in Peter's great denial, you know, Lord, I will never leave you, I will die with you, all of the disciples agreed. They all said, we'll go with you to death, but all of them abandoned him in his hour of need. But Jesus never even brings it up. He says, listen, go tell my brothers um, that I want to meet them just like I said back in Galilee. When I was younger, when I was young, I remember a time where I borrowed something uh, and really took something. I didn't have permission. Something of my brother's, it was very valuable to him. It was kind of like a, a varsity jacket. It wasn't that kind of thing, but it was a, it was a one it was a one of a kind unique thing that meant very was very important to him. It meant a lot to him. He he hardly ever wore it. But I took it because I thought it looked good on me and just borrowed it and went out and was careless with it, was not careful with it, and I lost it and it was stolen. And for you know, I can remember even all these years later how the weight of how that felt, the guilt that I felt. It was like I had, you know, committed a crime. That's what I felt like. And for as long as I could, I avoided bringing it up. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I just avoided the subject as long as I could until I could avoid it no longer after his many questions. And I just admitted that I had taken it without his permission and that it, and that I lost it, that it had been stolen as far as I knew. It shocked me, his response. He said to me, um, it's okay, you know, don't worry about it. I'll forget about it. I mean, I was, I, was, I was shocked at that, and I remember it to this day. Well, if that kind of thing has ever happened to you, if you've ever been on the receiving end of that kind of forgiveness, multiply it times a thousand, and that's how these men, I believe, felt after abandoning their Lord, their Savior, the person they'd given their life to, in his worst hour of need, when they heard from these women, right? Jesus still loves you. Jesus calls you his brother, and he wants to meet you um, in Galilee. I don't know if you know that kind of forgiveness or you've ever felt it in the deepest part of who you are, right? But that's what's at the heart of the gospel message. Your failures 
can't keep you right, from God's love. The God who, uh, uh, the God of the Bible, not only created the world, he created you and he created me. And out of love, the Bible says, he chose not to keep his distance from the pain and the suffering in this world. He willfully entered a broken world and in a manner of speaking, he took a bullet. He got the virus. He was nailed to a tree for you and for me so that we might know the true meaning of forgiveness, right? You no longer have to live in fear. Your past failures, my past failures cannot keep you from God's love. And finally, the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead means you do not have to keep your distance from God. You know, in this passage, the, the angel of the Lord, it says it comes down to this tomb and it's, it's dramatic, right? He, he, the, this angel rolls away this huge stone you know, like a, like a, you know, a superhero and then is sitting on top of it. But it's important to keep in mind or to, to know that the angel did not roll the stone away to let Jesus out, right? I mean, the resurrection of Jesus Christ as it's, as it's recorded, the after effects are recorded is a miracle, right? I mean, the grave clothes, John's gospel says, were just in perfect order laying there where Jesus' body um, was laid. Jesus, was, Jesus did not struggle through the grave clothes. He didn't have to, you know, um, chisel his way out. It was a miracle, right? The, the angel moved the stone away, not to let Jesus out, but to let these women in. Now, what that means is that um, obviously the implication is the women went in. The, the angel says to them, listen, then he quickly, he, he said to them, he is not here, he has risen. Come and see the place where he lay. He invited them into the tomb, the whole point. He's inviting all of us into the tomb in this passage. In other words, wants to demonstrate that Jesus Christ did indeed rise from the dead. But the implication is not only that they went in the tomb, but they I'm sure touched the grave clothes. That was the whole point before they then were instructed to leave and go tell the disciples. But what I think Matthew is saying to us, all the gospel writers, which are writing this document years later for our understanding, for our consideration, um, is to make an appointment, a, a very important point about what actually has taken place here. For these women, Jewish um, women in this culture, to walk into a tomb of anybody, right? Any kind of tomb, to touch the grave clothes of someone who had died would have made them instantly, immediately unclean in this culture. Not only would they have been unclean, anything they touched would have been unclean. Any person they touched would have been deemed unclean. Yet minutes later, they're touching the very feet of Jesus. They came and clasped his feet and worship him. So what's being said here, I think what Matthew is saying, what all the gospel writers are saying, is that a thousand years of, of a worship system, what it meant to worship God for a thousand years, had literally changed overnight in the resurrection of Jesus. Just in the chapter before this, Matthew 27, 
a similar um, point is made. Jesus is on the cross. And after he says his very last words on the cross, right, and gives up his very life, it says that the veil, the piece of material, right, this is recorded by the gospel writers, Matthew 27, that material that was hung between the holy of holies, the inner sanctum, you might say, of the Old Testament temple, and the holy of holies, right? The, the place, it was only a 15 square foot room, very small, that the Ark of the Covenant, you know, this, this important sacred piece of furniture that represented the presence of God. All right, this place, there was a, there was a piece of material that stood before it because no one could go there only once a year. The high priest, one time a year in the Jewish system, could go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement after elaborate preparations to go in. And in the moment Jesus gave up his life, it says miraculously, this piece of material was torn from the top unto the bottom, right? What was the message? Is this, this system, the, uh, what, what was, what, the system that required elaborate preparation for every person to come to meet God had come to an end, right? No more preparation to meet God. In Jesus' death and in Jesus' resurrection, a whole new way to meet God had opened up. Paul says this in the New Testament, Romans chapter six. We, speaking to those who've entered into the relationship with Christ. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This is the offer of the gospel. This is the true meaning of the resurrection. I, I'm, I know I'm talking to a lot of people today from a lot of different backgrounds, but there's one thing that is true, I think I can say is true of every single person that I'm talking to um, this morning. And that is this, the world that we all went to bed in, you know, a month ago is very different from the world that we are all living in today. And nobody knows, right? What the world's gonna be like uh, tomorrow. For the moment, we're all living in a world that is standing still. For the moment, we're living in a world that is suffering. For the moment, we're living in a world where much of what we controlled just weeks ago, we no longer control. However, right, this passage tells us, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm surprised at what's happening in the world today, but God is not surprised. God is not surprised by the coronavirus. God is not surprised by anything that's happening in my life or anything that's happening in your life. And if you want to draw near to him today, he wants to draw near to you. He died and he rose to make this possible, right? He loves you more than you can imagine. And he is closer than your very breath. All you need to do is to surrender your fears, 
to surrender your anxieties, to open your life and invite him in to be your Savior and to be your Lord. Paul says in the book of Romans, if we declare with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, right, then we can be saved. This is all it takes. You no longer need to stay a distance from God. Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection has opened up a whole new way of life. So let me just say as I close my uh, sermon this morning, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never opened your life to the love of God, to the forgiveness that is yours, that is mine, that is offered to all people because of Jesus' death, because of Jesus' resurrection. You can do that right now, right in your home or wherever you're listening to this message this morning. So I'm going to pray and I want you to pray with me. Right where you sit, just bow your head um, in the quiet of your living room, in the quiet of your home and pray this prayer with me. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus into this world to suffer and die for my sins. I surrender to you today my fears, my anxieties, my sins. Forgive my sins and give me the promised Holy Spirit and a whole new quality of life. As your child, make me your servant in this world today. In Jesus' name, amen.